Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Of David and Maskell. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who's godly pray to you, while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Don't be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, they won't come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord. And be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, do pick up your Bibles and turn back to uh, Psalm 32, and we're going to uh, consider that together uh, this evening. I wonder, though, are you looking forward to 1.55pm on Christmas Day? Well, apparently 1.55 p.m. on Christmas Day is the time on Christmas Day when people will be at their happiest. Apparently the toys will have all been built, the turkey will have been cooked, and everybody will be playing happily or sleeping happily in the afternoon. I'm not quite sure what family managed to get all that done by 1.55, but apparently that's so. And surely it's what we all look forward to on Christmas Day, isn't it? A happy Christmas Day. And you know, if you're anything like me, happiness is, is something which I look for all the time. You know, I'm always wanting to be happy. I want to be happy. I'm looking for happiness. Now, surely that's why the American Constitution says that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We want relationships filled with happiness, don't we? We want hobbies which will thrill us and make us happy. We want stuff to give us enjoyment. We want to be happy at work. I'm not sure if I've ever met anybody who doesn't want to be happy. And when it comes to Christmas, it seems here's a moment when actually we can be happy, even if it's just for a short time. And so the Christmas ads we've been seeing are promising us that, aren't they? Joy and happiness and the perfect gift, the great relationship, the succulent turkey, 
the tastiest wine, the contentedest afternoon nap. And yet, I wonder if you're like me, that often happiness seems quite fleeting. Now, I want to be happy, and I find happiness in many different things, and I'm looking forward to Christmas because I expect to be happy. And yet often it feels like it's there and then it's gone. No, it sneaks up on me and surprises me in an instant and then equally fast it disappears again. Fading into the shadows. Well, as we come to Psalm 32, we are presented with a way of life which is happy. A way of life which will bring happiness. This is a psalm which speaks of happiness. Which is quite surprising, really, because this psalm's been considered one of the penitential psalms for a long time. That is, a psalm to express sorrow, and sorrow about sin. And yet, when you read the psalm, it's a happy psalm. And it begins with that word, blessed, and you see it in verse 2 again. A word which really means happy, a real deep, contented happiness. Here's a psalm which is presenting us with happiness, a way of life, a way that we can be happy. And it does that through confronting us with our sin. Within the the last couple of years as I've been here at Fullwood, I've spoken to a man, let's call him John. And John couldn't cope with the teaching he heard at this church at various times. In particular, the thing he couldn't cope with at the time was being called a sinner. And he said to me, in order for me to pursue happiness at this time, I need to start thinking positively about myself. I can't start to think of myself as a sinner. I can't think like that. I need to think positively and happiness about myself if I'm going to find happiness. And now I could feel John's pain. I could see his point of view. And yet he was wrong. You see, the route to happiness for John would have come through considering his sin. You see, for in that route, John would find happiness. And the happiness which would come through him knowing that sin forgiven. And that's what this psalm is about. Finding the happiness and the joy of sin forgiven. And so let me give you a summary of what the the psalm says to us and then we will look at at that in, in sections as we go through. This is what I hope we'll see from the psalm is I want you to be convinced of the happiness of forgiven sin by learning from David's experience, joining in with his response and listening to his instruction. Be convinced of the happiness of forgiven sin. We'll see that in verses one and two. Learning from David's experience we'll see in verses three to five. Joining in with his response we'll see in six and seven. And listening to his instruction we'll see in eight to 11. We'll be convinced of the, the joy of forgiven sin. You see how the, the psalm begins, as we said, it begins with happiness. The happiness of sins forgiven. Blessed. The word happy. An exuberant word. Happy is the man whose transgressions are forgiven. Whose sin is covered Happy is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Here is the happy life. The happy life, says David, comes in knowing sins forgiven. Do you know, I wonder if how you would have completed the sentence 
last night if you were in the pub and somebody says, happy is the man who... Now, when we come to church, we expect a religious answer, don't we? But I wonder when you were in the pub last night, how would you have finished the sentence? Happy is the man who what? Would we have said with David, happy is the man whose sin is forgiven? I suspect for many of us, it wouldn't have been the first thing that came into our minds. It's quite a revolutionary thought that in forgiven sin, we find happiness. Our happiness will come because of sin forgiven. And yet a moment's reflection surely shows how good it is. Now think of that thing which you did, which you are so ashamed of. It can be forgiven. Surely we've all done things which pain us, which shame us, whether in the last week or the last term or in the last 10 years. Things which have shamed us in which we feel the pain of, that can be forgiven. Things which have destroyed relationships, things which eat away at us inside, that is the sin which we've committed, that can be forgiven. It's great, isn't it? All that shame and sin can be forgiven. All which stands against us can be removed. You see, David says it can be forgiven. That is, it can be lifted, removed, taken away. He says it can be covered. When I read that, I imagine somebody walking up to God in the filthy rags of their sin and God putting a marvelously decorated cloak around them and covering their sin. Maybe as the father did with the prodigal son. Covering the sin. Not that the sin still lurks underneath. No, because it's been forgiven. It's been lifted and taken away. And you no longer, says David, have the sin counting against you. And no one will be able to say, aha, but I know what they did. Sin doesn't stand against us now to accuse us. You're clean. It's no wonder then, as we've seen in Romans, that Paul turns here when explaining our justification by faith. Here is sins forgiven. It's why when the angels announce to the shepherds that the Savior has been born, they say it's news of great joy. Because the reality of sin forgiven can be ours in Christ. We can know this happiness. We can own this happiness. You see, dear friends, we are sinners. We've all turned away from God and rejected God. Do you know that experience of sins forgiven though? Because there, there is great joy. In sins forgiven, there is great happiness to be found. Be convinced of the happiness of forgiven sin. Be convinced of it and learn from David's experience. We see his experience in verses three to five. And so learn from his experience. Did you see what David's first response to his sin was? It was to keep quiet and cover up. You see what it says in verse three. When I kept silent. You see what David did? He decided I'm going to try and hide my sin. He wanted to cover it from God's sight so that God couldn't see it. Now you could say that he wanted to try and deal with it himself. And surely that's our our natural response. When I do, I don't know if you have this experience, when I do something wrong, my first thought often is to look around and think, did anybody see that? Can I get away with it? 
In a way, and we see that, don't we, played out time and time again in political scandals when it's being covered up. We don't want to admit, we want to cover up. Surely we all do that. I wonder, have you spoken about what shames you most to the person that you love most, or do you try and keep it quiet? I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine when I was in Australia, and he, his son had just done something wrong, and then he had lied about it to try and cover it up. And so my friend then said to his son, when you lie, do you think it's going to make things better? No, his son answered as I, I think I would have answered, yes, I lie to try and make things better. My friend followed up and said, when you lie, does it make things better or does it make things worse? And his son again answered how I would have answered, worse. You see, it's worse because either we get found out and then added onto top of the first thing that we've done, we've then lied, or worse because the lie eats away at us inside. You see, that's what David's experience was. Look at the effect of him covering up his sin in verses three and four. You see what he says? When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You see the pain David felt from covering up his sin? Almost physical consequences. He felt like he was shriveling up inside. Can you relate to that? The sin was eating away at him. It made him feel small. And David says that's what happened when he didn't confess his sin to God. David knew that he had done something wrong. He felt the hand of God heavy upon him. And yet he keeps silent. And that guilt weighed him down and weakened him. Weakened him as if he was standing in a desert with no water. You see, he thought covering up would help. But exactly the opposite was the case. You see, he was being deceitful to himself and to God. He was covering up his sin. He was pretending about it. He was hoping that he could deal with his sin, maybe. Deceitful about his sin. And can I say that often I think we are deceitful about our sin, I was away with a, a group of lads recently and we were talking about going out at night to nightclubs. And I was asking them, how much could they or should they drink when they go out? And they were all saying, well, when I go out, I don't get drunk. I may be a little tipsy, but I've never been drunk. And if I did feel a little bit tipsy, I would just stop then and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go any further. At that point, somebody in the group said, what are you talking about? Be honest with yourselves. Do you know what? For me, at times, it's taken me years to admit that I've done something wrong. Where I've not really thought it was that bad. It wasn't really a sin what I did then. I didn't really do what other people might thought I have done. You see, what David says here is, be honest with yourself. Don't cover up your sin. Do not pretend that you didn't sin or that it wasn't really that bad. You see, it won't be good for you and it'll eat away at you. And don't cover it up by thinking positive thoughts about yourself. Pretending it didn't really happen and thinking, well, I'm a good person really. 
avoiding that thing. You see, learn from David's experience. Do not keep silent about your sin. And continue to learn from David's positive experience. Because you see how he goes on. He says that he speaks up. You see the contrast. He was silent and then he spoke up to God. You see that in verse 5? Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. See, here's the remarkable thing I think we need to learn from David's experience. And in that, we will learn the gospel. Uncover your sin before God and God forgives it. That's it. The happiness of forgiven sin comes to those who lift the lid on their sin. You see, what man uncovered, God covers. It's wonderful. And it's really very, very simple. You speak up and say, I have sinned. I sinned when I did. I sinned when I said. And as you uncover it, God forgives it. You see, do you believe that's true though? You can have your sins forgiven. Just open it up. Now don't try and make your sin look a little better. No, hanging some good works onto the tree of your sin to make it look more presentable doesn't work. We're thinking if we come up with some kind of offering to give to God or a promise of penance doesn't help. It's how we often think, though, isn't it? I need to do something to show God that I'm sorry. When, I, when my children misbehave, which they do sometimes, um, and sometimes they even come to realise it. And when they come to realise it and they come and say sorry to me, do you know what my terrible response often to them is? I sometimes say to them, and how do I know that you're really sorry? How are you going to prove that you're really sorry? You see, we sometimes think that's what God's going to say to us when we uncover our sin before him. But he doesn't. He says, I forgive it. You see, this, my dear friends, is the gospel. You can't do anything to forgive your own sin. You can't do anything to show how sorry you are. All you can do is open it up to God and God forgives it. You see, learn from David. Think about your sin and open it up to God and ask for forgiveness and he will forgive it. God is waiting and ready to forgive those who do that, even you. Now, maybe you feel that you couldn't possibly open up that thing before God. You're so ashamed of it. You feel that you couldn't possibly be forgiven by God. And yet God, uh, David's experience was that God forgave him. And, and just think about who David was. He wasn't uh, somebody who was perfect. He sinned in horrible and terrible ways. He had a man murdered so that he could have his wife. And God could forgive that. And God is ready and waiting to forgive you. And we know that he will forgive because of the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who became sin for us. The Lord Jesus who felt his bones wasting away as he groaned all day long as he hung on the cross for you. 
The Lord Jesus felt as if his strength was sapped and that God's hand was heavy on him as he bore the full weight of God's wrath for our sin. You see, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus took all that weight and guilt of sin and bore it and paid for it for us. And he did that so that we can have our sins forgiven. You see, be convinced of the happiness of forgiven sins. Learn from David's experience. And what we see next is David saying, I want you to join in my experience. You see, how do we open up our sins before God? Well, look at verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. You see, you lift the lid on your sin by praying, praying in confession, praying and saying to God, I'm sorry for what I have done. Praying about specific things, no saying, Father, I was angry with my dad, with my children, with my wife, with my friends, please forgive me. Father, I got drunk last night and brought dishonor on your name. Please forgive me. Father, I've been unfaithful to my husband or wife. Please forgive me. Father, I've been making my work an idol. Please forgive me. Father, I have been, I wonder what you would put in the blank. You see, whatever the sin you've committed, you can ask God to forgive it. You can join in praying to God and that's all you need to do to be forgiven. And some of you will need to do that this evening. You'll need to pray to God and say, I'm sorry. Now some of you may find it helpful to pray with a friend. Praying to God and confessing your sin to God with a friend, the present, who can then remind you of the promise of God again that when you confess your sin to God, God forgives it. You see, the confession of sin should be a regular part of our Christian experience. And I guess for many of us, we will need to make it part of our regular Christian experience. And you see, if we're not confessing our sins regularly, then we are forsaking a great moment of happiness and joy. You see, David says, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. You see, we're to pray while God may be found. Did you think that was a little bit odd when you read that? Pray while God may be found. You see it in verse six. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. And you might ask, when can God not be found? Does he have surgery opening hours like the GP? Well, you see, obviously that's not the point, is it? You pray to God while he may be found. Meaning that there will come a time when Jesus comes back to judge the world when God can't be prayed to and asked for forgiveness any longer. You see, at that point, it will be too late. And so any time before that is the time to pray. You see, what David's really saying is pray now. Don't delay. Make this a regular prayer. Pray now, pray daily. At this point, just let me pause to make something clear, which I think often we can get confused about. You know, when I was a younger Christian, I used to worry. I worried that maybe I hadn't asked God to forgive me for a particular sin. And if I hadn't asked God to forgive that particular sin, did that mean that in the future God was going to come and judge me for that sin and I would lose my salvation? I used to worry that maybe I, 
had forgotten something. You see, what I needed to learn was that through Jesus, I am forgiven once and for all. There's no need for me to confess my sin uh, to be forgiven once for all. I don't flop in and out of forgiveness in that way. No, so I don't need to worry that I've not confessed a particular sin. Now, maybe you've never asked God for forgiveness. Maybe you've never said to him, I am a sinner and I am in need, please forgive me. And that's something which you should do. And in that case, don't delay. Ask God for that forgiveness. But you see, when I become a Christian, I am forgiven once for all. And that doesn't change. But what I need to realize is, though, that as I go on in the Christian life and as I sin again, I need to see that there's great joy in confessing that sin again to God and saying, please forgive me. You see, in that, I am convinced again and I'm shown again the truth of the gospel, that there is salvation to be found in God. You see, we're constantly grasping again the promise of the gospel that our sins can be forgiven. And you see the great, the great blessing that it brings in verses six and seven. You see, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You see, when you confess your sins, you can be assured that the waters of judgment will not reach you. You are forgiven, truly and really forgiven. God will surround you and protect you. He will be your refuge from the judgment. He will surround you with songs of deliverance. He will protect and keep you. You see, learn from David's experience. Join with him in his prayer. And finally, we will see we need to be instructed by him. You see how the psalm ends in verse eight? David says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You see, David's been telling us of his experience and inviting us to join in that by confessing our sins. And at the end, he says he wants to instruct us. And what he says, we, what he wants us to do is in verses nine and 10. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. What David wants us to be instructed in, he says, is don't be like a mule. Learn the lesson of the psalm. You see, here's the lesson you're to learn. When you sin, confess it. Now, for many of us, we might find that fairly easy the first time we sin. But what do you do when you sinned the same sin for the fifth time or the 15th time or the 500th time? What do you do then? You see, we're tempted to think, aren't we, that I can't ask forgiveness for that now. I've done it before. I should have learned to overcome it by now. And so what do you do? You keep silent about it. David says, learn the lesson of the psalm. (laughs) Confess the sin. Even if it is the fifth time or the 15th time or the 500th time. You see, if you keep silent, you've not been instructed by David. And he would say to you in verse nine that you are a horse with no understanding. You see, come and ask for forgiveness again. 
You see, the route for forgiveness and happiness doesn't change even if it's the 500th time that you've done that same thing again. Ask for forgiveness and you know that it will be forgiven. Not that you give up in the fight against the sin, but that you don't think that somehow you can now deal with it on your own. So tonight, be convinced of the happiness of sin forgiven by learning from David's experience, joining with him in his response and listening to his instruction. You see, the happiness of forgiven sin is wonderful. And so how appropriate the ending of the psalm is. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. You see, and this is what should bring us most joy this Christmas. As again, we remember that our Saviour has been born. As we celebrate with presents and with food and with afternoon naps, the real happiness comes is because we are celebrating our Saviour's birth, the one who brings us forgiveness of sins. And so as we close tonight, will you pursue happiness? We'll make confession of sin a regular part of your life. And why not start right now? Consider your life and open up to God in prayer. We're going to have a time of quiet for us all to do that now and to respond to God in prayer. And in a moment, Gareth will lead us on.